Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Hosea, chapter 1, verses 2 through 10. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of harlotry, and have children of harlotry. For the land commits great harlotry by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Deblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel. For yet a little while, and I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel, and on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter, and the Lord said to him, Call her name Not Pitied. For I will no more have pity on the house of Israel to forgive them at all, but I will have pity on the house of Judah, and I will deliver them by the Lord their God. I will not deliver them by bow, nor by sword, nor by war, nor by horses, nor by horsemen. When she had weaned, not pitied, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. And now, I want you to hear the promise in verse 10. Yet the number of the people of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which can be neither measured nor numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, it shall be said to them, Sons of the living God. This is the word of the Lord. Our story begins late at night and in the heart of the city. The brightness and the bustle of urban life, the, the energy and the enthusiasm of the day has faded into the darkness. It's strange, really, how a, a street corner can be so transformed from a place of vibrancy at midday to a place that's vile at midnight. At noon, crowds collect and gather on the street corners. People zigzag down Main Street as if all is right and well in the world. But at midnight, it's as if something tragic rises up through the ground, populating the street corners with clusters of desire and desperation. Yes, after dark, passers-by are met with wry smiles and salacious whispers. I can sell you something to make the pain go away, one man said. You can have me for the night, she said, as she grabbed hold of his arm, pulling him in, just as she had done time after time on this very street. One thing was certain. This was no place for Hosea to be. At least not now, not like this, not in the shadows, and not with her soft voice drawing him in. Hosea was a prophet, but there he was with a prostitute clutching to his arm. Let me come home with you, she said. Sometimes bizarre stories have outrageous beginnings, and this is exactly how our story begins. In this dark moment, 
under the moonlit sky. It was as if a divine voice took over Hosea's thoughts, his, his lungs, his breath, his, his voice and his words. Yes, he said, come home with me. Hosea continued with his shocking reply, but know this, I will love you for all that you are and for all that you ever hope to be. I promise to be nothing but kind. There is nothing that you could ever do that will make me stop loving you. There was something strange and reverberating about his words, about the timbre of his voice. It was as if his voice was calling out to her instead of the other way around. It was as if Gomer could tell that he really was honest and kind, that he was love somehow personified. Maybe she should just move on, but there was something different about him, as if he held the whole world together and could somehow hold her together too. Perhaps she knew in that moment that he had no intention of hurting her, of using her only for a moment before returning her to the darkness of night where she would then repeat her hollow and seducing whispers. Perhaps she knew then, even in those very first moments, that he would always love her and that he would never give up on her. Or maybe that would all come later. Hosea continued with a voice that was kind and with a gaze that seemed to say, I know everything that there is to know. And so off they went, the harlot and the holy man, the prophet and the prostitute. But he didn't just take her home. First came a knock on an imposing door and then signatures on a dotted line. In a blur, she said yes and signed away, thinking little of the commitment that she had made. On that night, on that strange and life-altering night, Hosea and Gomer went home as husband and wife. As you can imagine, word spread quickly through town. There could not have been a more robust piece of gossip for the crowds who zigzagged down Main Street. Have you heard the news? Oh, you haven't. It's terrible, downright tragic. Have I got something to tell you? Hosea the prophet has married a prostitute. By the end of the week, everyone knew, and, and everyone was beside themselves. If he's supposed to channel God's voice, I guess we're all doomed. As an aside, you should know that the people were living precisely like this as if their past commitments and promises to God didn't really matter. They'd moved on to other things. They'd stopped listening for the divine voice. But even so, the gossip train snaked through town, fueled by unkindness and guided by a cruelty that hummed in broad daylight. For weeks, Main Street was swimming with this sordid story. No one needed to pick up a tabloid at the grocery line checkout. They already had all of the trash talk, all of the idle chatter that they needed. One woman standing outside the corner cafe shuddered when she saw them both walk in together. Disgusted, she said, loud enough for everyone to hear. I mean, can you imagine him carrying her over the doorstep? 
Do you think that he doesn't know what we all know? Another woman replied. But Hosea did know, and he did love her. And Gomer quickly came to realize that there really was nothing in him but kindness and goodness. For the first time in her life, a weight had been lifted from her that she had never known to be there. There was something freeing in a love that wasn't transactional or cold. After all, Hosea knew everything. She'd told him, thinking that he'd kick her out of that idyllic little house with the flowers that always seemed to be blooming in the front yard. But even then, nothing changed in how he cared or in the way that he looked at her. And for the first time in her life, she began to know what it meant to be truly, truly loved, not as a means to an end or as an object of desire. She'd found someone who could look past her past. As the leaves all over town began to change in color and in hue, Gomer was changing too. In time, Gomer would share the happy news with Hosea that they were expecting a child, and when their son was born, it looked just like the two of them, her eyes and mouth and his nose and jaw. He was theirs, and he was loved. Oddly enough, though, the child was named Jezreel. He was named after a city that had once been faithful to God, but that eventually chased after other idols that led a faithful city astray and to its ruin. By almost any calculation, it was a terrible name for a child. However, for those who would later retell the story, the name Jezreel was a moment of foreshadowing a signal of what was about to come. You see, it was after his birth that Gomer, like that ancient city of Jezreel, started to stray from her commitments. Sometimes, in the stillness of the night, when the light of the moon barely lit the steps of the stone path in front of the house, Gomer would slip out. At first, she just told herself it was for a bit of fresh air, but eventually she began walking back to the streets and the alleys that she used to frequent. In her head, she told herself that it was only to remember how far she'd come, but it wasn't true. One night, she went all the way back. She went back to the empty gestures and the lies that she'd used so many times before. On that night, when Gomer slipped in through the back door, she hated what she had done. Why would she throw it all away? I guess you could say that's how self-deception works. It can erode your judgment. It can suppress your guilt. Eventually and Tragically, you stop hearing the voice that says, slow down, don't do it, stop it now, stop it before you do something that will bring unfathomable hurt to you and to those who love you the most. In time, Gomer stopped hearing the warning bells. Her conscience grew callous and her heart grew hard. Sometimes Hosea would wake up in a sweat in the middle of the night and he would reach out for her only to feel 
the cool sheets in the place where she wasn't. He didn't ask where she went. He knew he would not force her to love him, but he did still love her, even when the betrayal hurt like nothing else could hurt. Perhaps you've heard it said that the agonies of unfaithfulness run deep. Hosea found these words to be true. The agony ran deeper still when their second child was born. She was a beautiful baby girl who looked nothing like Hosea. Gomer insisted that the baby was his, and Hosea wished that this could have been the case, but he knew better. He was extravagant in his love, but he was not foolish. But here's the thing. It's hard to feel animosity in your heart when you hold a baby that's new, that's innocent, and who's dependent on love in order to live. Hosea held her in his arms and whispered softly into her ear, no matter what anyone calls you, no matter what anyone says about you, I will always, always love you. Oddly enough, though, this precious little girl was given a name that also carried a tragic meaning. She was named Loruhama, which translates as not pitied or even as not loved. Again, it's an awful and an outrageous name to give a child, but remember, this is often how names work in stories like this one. Fast-forwarding, we'll discover that the circumstances were quite the same when space was made in the little house for child number three. It was another son, and they named him Lo-Ami, which translates to not my people, or more simply as not mine. The boy looked nothing like Hosea. This time, Gomer didn't make up an excuse. He didn't have to ask if he was the boy's biological father. He knew that he wasn't. He couldn't have been. But again, Hosea decided that he would love this child anyway. He knew he didn't have to love him. He chose to love him. It was who he was. He would treat all three children exactly the same. From this point on, it was as if Hosea and Gomer weren't really married at all. The home came to know the brokenness that often comes with unfaithfulness. The flowers didn't bloom anymore. It was as if even the soil was grieving her unfaithfulness. These days, Gomer was rarely at home and almost never at night. Everyone knew that the prophet's wife, if you should even call her that, could be found roaming the streets after dark, offering herself to anyone who would take notice. And if you thought the story couldn't be more tragic, then you've forgotten how cruel people can be sometimes. As the children grew, Hosea was always found with them. During the day, he'd walk down Main Street, a child holding each of his hands and the luckiest one riding around his neck, holding on to Hosea's beard as if by tugging right or left, it would direct his steps. 
You would think that so much brokenness would have broken Hosea, but he still found a joy in the world around him, in loose teeth and toothless smiles, in the way the children would run up to him when they held a frog cupped in their tiny hands, and when they worked as a team begging him for dessert after dinner. In every way, Hosea and his family were a holy spectacle. Everyone saw and everyone had an opinion about the holy household's great fall. The whispering and the gossiping never stopped, but lately it had gotten worse. When Hosea took the kids to the park in the center of town, the other parents would point and shake their heads and roll their eyes at the holy family that was anything but put together. And it wasn't just the grown-ups, precisely because other children would hear their parents talking. As is so often the case, the words of gossiping parents became transformed into hurtful and bullying words of the children whose parents gossiped. They would talk about Lo Ami's mother and they would joke about Laruchama's mother being seen yet again, throwing herself at passers-by when the streets grew dark. The other children would push and poke and joke until familiar tears flowed down the children's faces. Like their parents, they too would sneer and laugh. I guess you could say that it all came to head on a day like this. It was a sunny day on Main Street with people crowding together, zigzagging up and down the sidewalk like they always did. One especially mean man walking by the children blurted out a line that was equal parts awful and hurtful and cruel. Hearing it plainly, Hosea immediately witnessed the tears welling up in all three of the children's eyes. The redness in their cheeks, the painful whimpers, and the, the gasping breaths. Maybe it was that these words were directed at the children and not at him. Maybe he just finally had enough. Whatever the reason, in an instant, the prophet cleared his throat, whirled around, and spoke right there in the open for everyone to see and to hear. That's enough! Hosea boldly injected into the crowd that was now encircling the four of them. I have had enough. Don't you all see how I love them? And can't you tell that I love them all the same? And don't you see how even when you call them unfaithful and not loved and not mine, can't you see even still that I love them all? I have always loved them and I always will. From now on, these three wonderful children shall only be called mine and loved because that is exactly what they are. No sooner had he said this when he spotted her standing in the shadows at the back of the crowd. Hosea turned to her as if there were only the two of them standing there. And you, my love, you don't have to run from me. You don't have to hide your face. I know everything. I know the hurt you carry, and I know the hurt that you bury. 
I know you think there's no coming back from what you've done, but my love is greater than you know. I beg you, please come home. I won't judge you, punish you, or hate you. My love has always been here, and it always will be, but I won't force you to love me. It's your choice. It always has been. At that moment, Gomer's head began to lift. Their eyes, now both blurred by tears, met on the very street where they'd first met when she begged him to take her home so many years ago. Now it was him begging her, please come home. Gomer took a breath, swallowed, and then opened her mouth to speak. Immediately then, the screen goes black, the credits begin to roll, and you feel as if it is all ended too soon and without any resolve. What will she do? Will she go home? Will there be a happy ending to this story? Will the flowers ever bloom again? Or will she refuse? Will she choose a life of empty lines and revolving lies? Will she live in the deceptions of the dark and sleep through the brightness of the day? If we're honest, and if we don't get preoccupied with asking questions that the story was never designed to answer, this is the moment when we realize that it's always been up to us to decide how the story ends. And that's precisely because, in Hosea's telling, Gomer was always just a stand-in, a placeholder, a double for you and for me. And Hosea was never simply Hosea. Hosea was always channeling God's voice, God's forgiveness, and God's relentless love story with all humanity. Let me be clear, this was never a story about your marriage. It's not meant to advise you about how to treat your spouse. It was never a drama to binge for the sake of feeling something in a world that can often be senseless. For those first hearing the story, it described the tragedy of Israel's harlotry. The more God called out to her, the more she ran. It was always a story about whether humanity will live in a response to a God who won't force his love upon you. It was always a story that knows the arcs of your faithfulness and your unfaithfulness. All along and at every turn, the story has been trying to read you, your excuses, your failings, your broken commitments in the moments when you stray from the love and the kindness of God. All along, all along it's been you standing there, and all along it's been God begging you, please come home. There is forgiveness. There is love, and there is a way forward no matter what you've said or done. These words were always for us. These words were always for you. 
please come home. I love you. Come home.